while you're finding your place there in John 12, let's, get a, let's do a little bit of catch-up. So since May, uh, we've been listening to a series of sermons about heroes from the Bible and about how God used them and about how God can use us. Now, now we're back in the book of John, right, right where we left off, with, uh, with Jesus and his disciples in Jerusalem for the Passover, where he is speaking to the crowds about his death at the end of, end of John chapter 12. We're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter and stop right at chapter uh, 13 today. And it's important for us to know that as we get back into the book of John, that the book itself is divided into two parts. Uh, the first part is chapters 1 uh, to 12, and then the, the second part is chapters 13 to 21. And so the passage we're going to consider today, chapter 12, verses 34 to 50, is something of the conclusion to this first half of the book. It's not the end of the book of John, but it is something of a conclusion to it. And so John has final words for us, very important things for us to hear as we get back into this, uh, this great book that has, uh, that has so much to teach us about Jesus and is here to help us put our trust in Jesus and that by believing in him and continuing to believe in him, we find life in his name. So it's going to be important for us to hear all of it. And so if you found your place there, would you please stand? We're going to give honor to God's word. And I have behind me Seth Placencia. Seth is one of our interns this summer, and he's going to read God's word for us today so that we can hear it and be ready to study it. To repeat, we're in John chapter 12, starting in verse 34, and we're going to go to 50, the end of the chapter. I'm going to read, how about you guys follow me along, either on the screen or in your Bibles, in your hand. Starting in verse 34. The people answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my word and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. This is the word of God. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Father, we're so grateful for your word, and we're grateful that we can gather together to study it. And Lord, in every, in, 
In every message, there's so many things you want to say, but you just know you can't say all of them. So Lord, I just pray for grace for the speaker and for the hearer to hear what is most helpful, most encouraging, most effective, most challenging, most, uh, most, most moving, uh, and that, and that your, your Holy Spirit would be our teacher to help us understand these final words. And so as we stand here now, we, we stand wanting to hear from you. And, and, we, and we stand knowing what Scripture says, the command from Scripture, what, what, what is within our responsibility to obey. That is, if we hear your voice, we should not harden our hearts. And we have it within our responsibility. We have it within, within our capability to, to believe Isaiah when he says, seek the Lord when he may be found. And so, Lord, would you grant us grace to hear your word, and to apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. You can take your seats. So, so as I said, we're back, with G- we're back with Jesus at the conclusion of the first half of the book of John. And so think, think about it with me like this. So first words are important words. Uh, moms and dads, you can think about the first words that your kids spoke. Uh, those were important words, not because they were of any you know, great factual concern, but just because they were your kids and you love them. But I think it's just as true to say that final words are important words. The, the, the last thing that someone says are important. If, if, if a family member is granted the opportunity to, 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 to gather the, fam, the rest of the family around, around their bedside before they pass and speak words, that, those are important things that are going to be said. And so... It's just as true to say that first words are important words, but it's also true that final words are important words. And John 12, verses 34 to 50 is here as final words. It's something of this conclusion to the first half of the book of John. Now, there's a whole lot more to come. We've still got to go uh, to chapter 21, uh, but, but what's happening here is the end of the public ministry of Jesus. So for three and a half years, Jesus Christ has been walking around and shining as the light of the world. He's been calling for people to trust in him and to believe his claims and to, and to understand who he is, that he is the Son of God and the Son of Man. Well, that's coming to a close now. And John neatly packages his book. He's going to conclude this here. And then chapters 13 to 21 is, 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 is just a different, Jesus is in a different place. He's ministering privately to his disciples, particularly in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And so we need to hear these as, as these last words. It's sort of these, John, do you have any final words from us about Jesus and about what it means to trust in Jesus? And, and what we're going to see today, I'll just kind of give you a breakdown of where we're going to go. There's a lot we're going to cover today, so it'll be, you'll, you'll, be, um, you'll be really helped if you have your Bible open and just follow along. Uh, I think we can take these final words and divide them into three parts. So the first part will be verses 34 and 36, the tail end of this conversation with Jesus and the crowds there in Jerusalem on the final week of his life. A crowd comprised of Jews and Greeks. And he's speaking to them about his death. And he's going he's to speak to them about, about the kind of time that they have and sort of what, what's most urgent for them there. That's part one. And then part two, John is going to pause. The author of the book is going to pause starting in verse 37, going down to verse 43. And he's going to have us reflect on the overall results of the ministry of Jesus. What happened as the Son of God was moving in and around his own people, the Jewish people in the first century, what were the results of that work and what can we learn about it today? That's part two. And part three is this, this final summary, this, this, um, this climactic and dramatic summary of all the things Jesus has been saying up to this point, verses 44 to 50. Final words in three parts. 
And I think John has much to teach us today as we continue through this, uh, through this great book. So friends, let's consider first, as we catch the tail end of this conversation starting in verse, four, starting in verse 34, number one, uh, first, a final word John gives us about opportunity. John starts by giving us a final word about opportunity. Now, when we speak of opportunity, we speak of something that's available or something that is accessible. And, and, and what we learn and what Jesus is going to tell that crowd there and this crowd, again, is that he is available, that he is accessible, that for three and a half years, he has been saying things like, anybody thirsty? Come to me and drink. Tired of the darkness? Come to the light. Is anyone hungry? I'm the bread that can satisfy forever. And he's going to speak of himself again as the light of the world. Now, we start in verse 34 with a question from, from the crowds. And basically, it seems that the crowds are cluing into the fact that Jesus is speaking about his death. That's what he started doing in verse 20. He started speaking about his death. He spoke of it as his hour, as a lifting up, and as his glorification. And they, they have in their minds, particularly the, Jew, the Jewish members of this crowd, clearly have in their minds an understanding of a Messiah, a promised one from the Old Testament, as one who, <laughs> he would do a lot of things. Die is not one of them. But it's very clear from the way Jesus talks throughout the book of John that he is a man born to die. In his own self-understanding of the reason he exists and the reason he has taken on flesh is to look at his sheep and say, not them, but me. And he would say that on the cross triumphantly and in a glorious way. That's why they say in verse 34, we have heard from the law, now that's a reference to the Old Testament, that the Christ, the Messiah, remains forever. How can you say, and they directly quote Jesus, the Son of Man must be lifted up. So they take lifted up as a death, as a, as, a, as a death on the cross. So they're cluing in, whoever the Son of Man is, what kind of Son of Man would he be if he dies? Because Son of Man is a title taken from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. And it's an overwhelming vision of a, of, of, of a worldwide cosmic ruler under whom all the nations bow. And, and, and the crowd clearly, clearly understands, uh, okay, when you say son of man, what exactly do you have in mind? Because the, the Messiah, as we understand it, isn't someone who dies. He, he's a political, this worldly ruler who overthrows enemies. And this is why Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He's just not thinking in their categories. Jesus' response is basically to say, verse 35, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Well, that's obvious. If you're in the dark, you can't see anything. So Jesus says again, back what he said in, in chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. I'm everything the Bible has said about light finds its fulfillment in me. I am the only way out of the darkness of death and your sin. I'm the only way out. And... The emphasis here, I don't think, in his response in verses 35 to 36, is as much on his identity as the light, but on their opportunity to believe in the light. Notice the language in me. Look again at verse 35. A little while longer the light is with you. Jesus, look at the end of verse 36. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So Jesus is, 
Jesus is going to enact what he's saying with his words. Notice the language of verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light. See, he's speaking of opportunity. While you have the light. And so the lesson is, the point he's trying to make is not, uh, it is on his identity as the light, but it's more on their opportunity while they have time to believe in the light. And so the truth is that for that crowd then, and for this crowd today, and for any other person who is confronted with the message of Christ, when it comes to trusting in Jesus for eternal life, there is no time like the present. While you have the light, believe in the light. Now, now that, that's a time indicating it may not always be there. For three and a half years, Jesus has been saying, anybody in the dark? Believe. Believe while you have the light. We, 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 we presume upon tomorrow. Now, now look, this audience Jesus is speaking to, and then the audience that read John's gospel a few years later, would they have had another opportunity to put their trust in Jesus? I don't know. Because I know, I have, I have made plans for tomorrow, and so are you. But it is, it, I have zero certainty as to whether or not it will come. For me personally, right? That's how precarious life is. That's the nature of life. Only God knows. <laughs> The lesson is for us to remember, and we're going to carry this thought through, of an immediate, without challenge, without excuse, without delay, response to God's word. Friends, insofar as there, we can speak of opportunities, the ones we have today are, as far as we're concerned, only for today. And the evil, and, and, and J.C. Ryle said it really well. He said, God does not, the evil one does not care how spiritual our intentions may be. They may be the best in the world. They may be, of course I'll believe in Jesus. As long as we intend to do them later. Jesus says, don't do it later. While you have the light, believe in the light. Now we're going to hold on to that thought as we move to part number two, where John is going to pull aside. The author will pull aside. You'll notice if your Bible has the, has the words of Jesus in red, which is, which is helpful. You see verses 35 and 36, that's red. And then verses 44 to 50, that's red. Now this middle part is, is going to be in black. That's because that's John the author gaining some help from the prophet Isaiah to try to not leave us in suspense. He wants us to know what has happened. Okay, so he leaves us right there. Jesus says, believe in the light, become sons of light. Well, well what happened? Did they, <laughs> did they believe? Will we believe? It's sort of, that's, that's kind of the way to approach it. And so he pulls aside starting in verse 37. And with the help of the prophet Isaiah, he gives us a summary of the ministry of Jesus. And he has something to teach us about unbelief then and unbelief now. So not only do we have a final word about opportunity, but second, we have a final word about unbelief. And we get to learn about unbelief then, and we get to learn about unbelief now. And so essentially what, what John says is, he, he reports this interesting fact that the vast majority of the nation of Israel, the people to whom Jesus was born, into the people into whom Jesus was born. The very thing John said would happen in the introduction of his whole book, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. There, in verse 10, John says that he, Jesus, came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And so like we have people in our lives that are very close to us, 
but reject Christ and seem to persist in that rejection. So John says it was the same with Jesus. It's a historical phenomenon. It's a matter of history that Jesus Christ comes into the world as the Messiah with very different categories than the, than, the nation, than the first century nation of Israel. And on the whole, in the main, the nation of Israel rejects him. In fact, their leaders hand him to the Gentiles to be crucified. And John wants us to reflect on this. So we have a final word about unbelief. And he begins with a reflection on unbelief, again, by giving a summary of Jesus' ministry among his people. Look at verse 37. Verse 37. But although he, Jesus, had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Let's stop there. When it says they did not believe in him, the emphasis, the, the, the emphasis is placed on the persistence of their resistance. So that, that, that's, that's literally, they did not believe and they were not believing. They continued in their unbelief. We would say, and, and we use this language if we are trying to be self-consciously aware of the spiritual attitudes and aptitudes of people around us, uh, uh, Christians, we would say something like, man, his heart just seems really hard. That's what John's saying. That indicates, when we speak that way, that indicates a kind of persistent, doesn't it? It indicates a certain kind of resistance. It may not always be um, verbally antagonistic or, or, uh, or emotionally hot, but, but it does indicate a kind of, that's what John's saying. And he speaks here, and then, well, and then in verse 38 he says, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. So John says, have no fear, even this, like everything else, lies within the plan and the purpose of God. He quotes from Isaiah 53, the end of verse 38, that quotation. Lord, whom has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah said it back then, and John says it now about the ministry of Jesus. Does anybody believe this stuff? You ever felt that way? I was thinking about this yesterday. I said, well, that's how, I look out in our world, and this is how I feel. Anybody believe any of this stuff? I feel, I feel very outnumbered. <laughs> and so here we are, thinking about unbelief and its nature. So even this lies within the plan of God. Notice in verse 37 this word signs, signs. That's a reference to, the, to, the thing, uh, to these actions. Sometimes they're miracles and sometimes they're just acts that Jesus did in chapters 1 to 12. In fact, you could call the first half of the book of John the book of signs. The whole book is divided around these, these miracles and these signs that Jesus, is, Jesus performs. Jesus did things like turn water into wine. He, he, he cleansed the temple. He, he, he performed these amazing acts. He, he, he healed multiple people with a word. He, he, ra- he, he restored a man's sight. He raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And it's as if John is saying in verse 31, in light of everything Jesus has done, in light of how marvelous Jesus is, in light of how overwhelmingly incredible the Son of God is, I find their, their unbelief unbelievable. That they would see every... Clearly, seeing is not believing. In John, believing is seeing, actually. He flips that. And this isn't even everything the Bible says. Let me consider two passages. These are other things John writes about the signs Jesus performed. They'll be on the screen. Chapter 20, verses 30 to 31 says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now stop right there. Okay, so John's telling us, I'm just giving you some of them. (laughs) I'm just giving you the seven that you need. But these are written 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I love the way John ends this book. Chapter 31, verse 25. These will be on the screen as well. This is, these are the last words of this book. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The things Jesus did. John says the Library of Congress is not big enough to catalog the greatness of this man. And John says their unbelief is unbelievable. They were responsible to believe. They were given the call and they didn't. And there's a response to this. Not only does John reflect in verses 37 and 38 upon their their persistent resistance, but in verse 39, he speaks upon God's response to this persistent resistance. And he so, so first, John, and the order is very important. We'll get to this in just a second. But it, it's as if in verse 30, verses 37 and 38, John speaks of their, their, their self-hardening, their self-resistance. And then in verse 39, God spe- uh, John, John pulls aside and he says, as we continue this thought, as we continue to, to be concerned about the nature of unbelief, he says that for, 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 for them then and, for, and, and still continuing for people now, we see a pattern that God in his justice and in his righteousness is willing to look at a state of persistent resistance that looks like hardness of heart and to respond to that with his own hardening and to have his very hand in the consequences of of that unbelief and to say, more of what you most desire. Look at verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe. Because Isaiah said again, he quotes here from Isaiah 6, verse 40, he he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, and I should heal them. These things Isaiah, the prophet, said when he saw his, that's Jesus' glory, and spoke of him. Clearly in Isaiah 6, Isaiah saw a pre-incarnate, before he came into the world, vision of the glory of Jesus seated on the throne that he would leave to achieve our salvation. And so now, friend, I want us to notice two things as we speak about a self-hardening and then God's response to that hardening. I want you to notice an order and a language. An order and a language. These are very important. Please look at the text with me. We see in verse 37, would not. They would not believe. In in the face of persistent, (laughs) come to me. In, 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 In the face of persistent, are you hungry? Come and eat. Because I'm, I, I uh, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus is the kind of sa- he's the kind of savior that if, if anyone comes to him with the empty, he's never turned away a single person who has come to him with the empty hands of faith. He's never done it. The guarantee of the gospel is if you come, you get him. And in the face of that, a would not in verse thirty-seven becomes a could not in verse thirty-nine. Not because God is a maniacal, angry deity seeing to rush people into unbelief, but because he is a just God who, yes, is patient and loving, but will confirm a choice in unbelief. Notice also as well the language. Notice that first word at the beginning of verse 39. All of our English Bibles, just about all of them, I tried to check all of them, start, start like this. They say, therefore. You see that word? Now that, there's... 
That's, that's, a, that's a Greek word. That, the Greek word is henna. There's only one way to translate it. Therefore, because of, for this reason, for this purpose. Therefore, they could not believe. There's an order and there's language. There is, as one author said, a divine moral order that God will look upon hardness. And like he did with Pharaoh, here's a pattern that we see. Like he did with Pharaoh, he will... Think of the things that Moses went and showed Pharaoh. The, 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 water, the water turned into blood and the whole na- and cattle dying. All of these judgments. These, these, how can you recreate these things? These vast displays of the, of the power and the might of God. And, and it says, you can see a pattern. Pharaoh hardens. Over time, he becomes more hardened. And God hardens him. That's plain, plain on the text. It's, it's, like Roman, it's like Romans chapter 1, where we're, we're, we're picturing, picturing the world as it were. Paul says that, the, 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 that, that what is known about God, what is clearly perceived about him, is, is suppressed. People suppress the truth. They shove it down. They push it out of the way like a, like a dog wanting to jump up. They, they, they get it. Get away from me. I want nothing to do with this. They love the darkness and they hate the light. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. And three times in Romans 1, verses 18 to 31, Paul writes, Henna, therefore, for this reason, because of this, for this purpose, God gave them up. Now, friends, I want to say two things about this idea in verse 39 of what is called judicial hardening, God's confirmation of a choice to resist. I want to say two things. One, Please do not, let us please not allow this truth to have us loosen our grip in any way upon the love and the patience of God. My friends, God is endlessly patient. For three and a half years and for however long you and I have been hearing God's word, he has been patient. It is, it's a danger to pit God's attributes against each other. He is one God who is all that he is all the time. The other point that needs to be made is this, and the Bible says this very clearly. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Seek the Lord when he can be found. He can be found. He is there. He's as close as our next breath. Interestingly, as John continues to unfold unbelief, in verses 42 to 43, he says something very interesting. He continues to speak of the results of Jesus, not of the crowds in general, but of the rulers in particular. He says, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Now, verse 43 is the indictment, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now, this is John continuing to unfold the results. What's so interesting about this, or, or, not what's interesting, the question that comes up I think with verses 42 and 43 is, well, is this, so John uses the word believed, so that may trip us up a little bit in verse 42. I think the immediate question is, well, is this, is this the real thing? You know, is this real belief? I think the answer has to be no. Because for John, the, 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 he actually uses the word believe in different ways. Like there is a way in the book of John to believe only in signs, to be only amazed by the things that Jesus does. But John wants us to know that there is a difference between amazement and acceptance. And that there is a difference, that there's a kind of belief that stops short of, it, it goes into wonder, but it, does, but it falls short of surrender. 
There, there's a vast difference between those. Oh, I think Jesus is a good man. Sure, he did. Oh, I'm, those are pretty cool things that he did. That, is not, <laughs> that, that, that does not sound like saving faith. Saving, saving faith is surrender. And, 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 and you know what else saving faith is? Here's the other reason I think this cannot be the real thing. Verse 43, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So their glory, they're hungry for glory and they seek the wrong glory. They're far, uh, what is key, what's a stumbling block to belief? The opinions of others, right? They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Boil it down, they, they're just really concerned about what people think. And, um, and that's, that's a temptation for all of us. That's a very common temptation. And, and, and they, they, so they won't, they'll believe, but they won't confess. These cannot be true believers because Paul would tell us that to be a Christian is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I remember talking with a, um, actually one of, one of the missionaries that we ourselves support here at Grace. Uh, he, and he and his family work in a Muslim context. And, and a Muslim context is a hard place to do ministry, um, uh, n- not only just because of the spiritual darkness of a false religion, but because, but because it, it not, only, not only are you, are you working to see people converted out of, a, out of a particular kind of religion, but in most cases, they have to be converted out of a certain national identity. Right in a lot of in a lot of way, in a lot of contexts, particularly in this missionary and his family's context, to be a, to be a Muslim is to be the country that they're from. Right? I said, "Well, how do you how do you know it's real?" I asked him, "Like, how do you know they're, they're converted? They they will follow Christ no matter the cost. How do you know it?" And he said, "When they're willing to be baptized." And he said, "Because then I know that they understand that their Christianity is yes personal, but it is not private. That we follow Jesus out here." Now, what, what John is saying is not, oh, man, oh man I, I, I got nervous sharing the gospel. I didn't say exactly everything that I should. I felt a little nervous, maybe a little bit embarrassed, and so now I need to call my salvation into question. No, 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 no. This is a different category. This is an outright, mm, no, 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 no. This is, I, I, I am not confessing him. So John unfolds unbelief, and he tells us that there is a hardening, and he tells us that there are reasons that we do not believe. That's point number two, a final word about unbelief. And now, as we, come, as we come to the end, we see in verses 44 to 50, this, this number three, friends, part number three, this interesting place where we see a final word from Jesus about who he is. John ends with this final word about who Jesus is. Now, um, you'll notice verses 44 to 50 is Jesus speaking, or it's at least John, I, I think, John quoting Jesus. And I think it has to be that way because you'll notice at the end of verse 36, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So chronologically, the, the, the ministry of Jesus has ended. So what I think John is doing is, is right before he gets to the second section of his book, he inserts various quotes from, if, you, if, you, if we were to just take time, I'm going to summarize this summary essentially. But if you were to just read through verses 44 to 50, you'll find this is all the things Jesus has been saying for these first 12, cha- for these first 12 chapters. So here we have this summary, this final word from Jesus about who he is and, and, and what has Jesus been saying. Well, his basic point is that behind everything he says and behind everything he does, all the things that he says and all the things that he does to show that he is the Son of God and the Son of Man, behind all of these things stands the Father, confirming and approving of these things. He says in verse 44, Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. See, that's the Father. Verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command, the Father's command, what does God require? He requires 
everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father told me, so I speak. Jesus has been telling them and us, I am unique and I am singular, and that to see me is to see God, and to hear me is to hear God, and to believe in me is to believe in God. He has been saying that if you have me as your Savior, then you have God as your Father. And that if you do not have me as your Savior, then you do not have God as Father. He's been saying that there is only one means by which you can have a positive relationship with the only God who exists through me. There is one name under heaven given among men by which we can approach the Father. There is one way and one truth and one life, and it is Jesus Christ. That's what he's been saying. And so John just says, don't forget. And so as we've said, as we've studied, it's as if John has been holding up a microphone to the mouth of Jesus and he says, would you tell us who you are? And he hasn't been unclear. Based upon the kinds of things, my friends, Jesus says, he is, again, we're confronted with this notion, what will we make of the claims of Christ? Will we embrace them for the first time or con- and continue to embrace them with all our might? Because the kind of man who says the kind of things he said, you just uh, reject him outright because you think he's a liar and so not a good man. Turn away from him and, and, and just mock him because he's, he's insane because no one says these things in their right mind if they're not true. Or he is exactly who he says he is. He's Lord God Almighty. And when you just honestly consider the things Jesus says, I think those are your three options. What we can't do is ignore him. What we can't do is yawn at someone who says, if you see me, you see God. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. This is the call. And so that's where it ends. And I think as we turn now, as we consider this final word, we have a final question. A final question. Hopefully it's been this theme we've seen, uh, we've seen throughout, and it's this. Am I responsive to God's word? I want to ask myself, and I want to ask you, am I, are we, responsive to God's word? Now, now, the, question, now the answer to that question is yes insofar as everyone responds to God's word. The one thing God's word never does is nothing. Everyone responds. Everyone has a response to God's word. The question, uh, writers, of, uh, writers of, uh, of a few generations ago would say, it's always the word that does the work. The, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. It's the word. It softens. It's always what's doing the work. It's not because we're not being exposed. And so the answer is, we, see, I think we want, or at least I want sometimes, I want it to be true for people that I love, that there's this spiritual Switzerland, just this spiritual neutral zone. And it's just not true. The Bible is simply unafraid of sharp distinctions, like belief and unbelief, lost and found, dead and alive. And, the, and, those are, and so the answer is, there is a response, but is it a positive response? And so here again, we considered Isaiah, John, rather, helped us understand unbelief with Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 53. Consider this as we close from Isaiah 55. Pastor Michael actually quoted a little bit of this. Here's here's a conclusion, friends, at the end of this. Here's, Here's Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. See, this is, seek him. Seek the Lord for the first time. Claim Christ for the very first time or continue to do the very same thing. Stay on the path you've stayed on. He will have mercy on him. And, And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. For as the heavens are high than the earth, So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven do not return there but water the earth and bring it forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out. Goes forth from my mouth and it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in all that I attend. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. And here is the promise of Christianity to any crowd, anywhere, ever. If you seek him, you'll find him. Never has the God of the gospel turned away a single person who approached him with the empty hands of faith. He, he will not say, anyone but you. Oh, anybody but him. If you think, please, if you, if you think that's what God would say to me, you are perfectly qualified to come to him. You have all he needs. You have need. So if you think, seek me, I don't, I don't think he wants any. I, I think I would seek him. I don't know what his answer would be. Please hear me. His answer is, you find me. And when you find him, what do you find? All you've ever wanted, all you could ever need, all you could ever ask for. Suffering through this world and then glory to come. First a cross, then a crown. You find all you've ever dreamed, you find God. And you find in him all the satisfaction you could ever want. In in, in Psalm 63, David says, I sought the Lord. I was hungry for him like a desert is hungry for water. And he says, I found him. And my soul was satisfied as a rich and savory meal. That is what it means to seek him. So Jesus says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. Let's take him at his word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we now through prayer seek you. Lord, we'll, 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 leave, we'll leave sermons or we'll leave Bible studies, we'll leave our community group or our discipling relationship and we'll think, man, the Lord was, the Lord was speaking. He's, he's, he's talking to me. He's drawing me close. And so, Lord, I, I pray that, that, that each of us would seek the Lord while he may be found. When we, when we leave a, a, a time in your word and we think, man, God really spoke to me, the next obvious answer is, well, then what did he say? And what does he want me to do? So, Lord, make Grace Church and our our guests responsive to your word, now and forevermore, seeking the Lord, finding him. You say in Psalm 27, you tell us, I told you your face, my face seek. And David says, your face, O Lord, do I seek. We want to be a people who seek you and so are therefore satisfied and hopeful and comforted and joyful because every time we seek you, we find you. And we're only going to be better. We're only going to come out of the darkness into the light. 
And so, Lord, I pray that each of us, if we hear your voice, would not harden our hearts, but say, speak, Lord, now and forevermore as we continue to follow Jesus together. In his great name we pray. Amen. Amen, my friends.